Well, thank you once again. Um, welcome. Good morning. My name is Chris. Um, I believe today I've got a, a great message for everyone here, um, something that will help you along your journey and where you are with life at the moment, wherever that may be. Um, and I thought, like, who's the best person in the Bible that we could look at that would be a great way of um, being able to improve your life and grow closer to God? Oh, it's Jesus, of course. Yeah, yeah, woo! But he's been done to death, quite literally. So... We're not going to go back to that. We're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to take a bit of a different approach because I speak a little bit differently than everyone else. And we're going to look at Peter from the Bible, not from Breakthrough. <laughs> yes, the, the shame and everything. So just a, a little bit about me. Also, just as a note, I, I don't know. Everyone seems to be um, really good at not referencing notes when they preach, but I'm not like that. So not yet anyway. So I'll be looking a bit more at my laptop. So you'll have to deal with me looking at this the whole time. Um, so I was, I was raised, as, as Caitlin said, I was raised in the church for basically my whole life. My parents came here, so I wasn't born literally in the church, but I did come here at, I don't know, I'm assuming zero, I wouldn't remember. Um, you could tell me anything probably before the age of four and I'd just have to believe you. Um, so I joined the worship team probably a bit over 10 years ago now. Um, my first service was probably in 20, well, that's more than 10 years ago now, uh, it was 2011, I think, maybe 2010. Um, and I played an acoustic guitar, which was unmiked because we didn't have any more microphones and my guitar didn't have a microphone in it. So it's just the way things were. So we're not like that anymore. We've got great sound systems. Um, and before that, I ran, helped run things like the, um, the overhead projector and, and whatnot. It's a, it's like a, it's a rite, of, rite of passage for everyone that goes through creative team. Um, and just before I go into the actual message, I thought I'd, I'd share a little bit more about me because... Most people, well, everyone here will now know I'm Chris, but you don't know much more beyond that. So um, I think a picture can mean a lot of things, maybe not a thousand words, but I've selected a few things which I thought were a great way of um, displaying sort of who I am. So the first picture is a beach cricket game with Caleb. So this was, it was probably his, uh, one of his birthday um, celebrations. But um, Caleb and I, we used to pair together a lot in our young adults, youth sort of group um, for a lot of sporting-related activities, which in hindsight probably wasn't particularly fair for the rest of the group. I don't really know why this was tolerated. Um, but to this day, we still hold the top undisputed beach cricket partnership of about 50 runs. I think we retired. I don't think anyone actually got us out. Um, so that sort of picture, that sort of thing. I like sports. I enjoy semi-competitive sports and playing things competitively. Next photo... Me and Caleb in a canoe. Now, Caleb is not the focus of my message. He just happened to be in the first two photos. Um, but this is the two of us standing up in the canoe. I think we went canoeing or kayaking on the Yarra at some point. I don't really know exactly why we were standing up. But um, I think one of us might have gone, ah, oh, I wonder if you can stand up in the boat. And our partners will sort of give you us death stares. One of us stands up and the other goes, oh, I'll try that too. So we're both sort of just standing there and you can't see Priya and Kyra probably in the background like really urging us to not do it. Definitely not dangerous. You can try that at home. Uh, the next photo. So this was in 2016, Christmas 2016. My family went on a trip to New Zealand to visit um, my grandparents and my dad's side. Most of my dad's side's family lives there. And like all good people good, well-adjusted, normal people, I took my laptop and played lots of games. So this is me playing a game, including the terrible posture, which I'm still working on. Um, I was probably playing something, again, semi-competitive, love, love winning and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's just another thing. Next photo, please. This one's a bit more holy, but um, um, I believe worship is an integral part of, of life and, and church life, and not, not just beyond church life, your own core life. 
Um, and I love big production things, high value sort of lots of sound, lights everywhere and everything going on. But at the heart of it all, you don't need, um, you don't need a big fancy sound system. You just need a heart that's ready to worship and like-minded people around it. So I thought it was a, something that was, is really important to me and I thought it was a good representation. And the final photo is pre-lifting me up. So my ex-girlfriend, now wife Priscilla. Um, there, there is a picture of me lifting her up, but I thought it was less interesting to look at and this would give you a bit more to talk about. Cool. So I hope I've given you a, like a brief snapshot of my, of my life. I, get to, I did get to choose it, so maybe there's a lot of things that actually are about me that I don't know that I didn't put up there. But um, now that you know about me, let's move on to some of my influences. So like everyone in this room, I'm a large part of the product of my surroundings. Um, I think the people that are near you shape you the most. Um, and I think this also applies to who you let in when you're like listening to sermons, listening to preach, or even like you're just watching stuff, like who, you, who you're watching, who you're letting into your life. Um, and if, for my specific case here, I'm going to talk about the sermons and the books and the preaching that I listen to. So I'll get, I thought I'd give you my top three influences in order of people you know most likely to know to the least. So it's not like a one, two, three. This is a random, but this is who you'll know to the least know. The first one is... Can anyone guess who this is? It is Peter Lewis. Yes, Peter from the church, not from the Bible. Um, so I've been attending, as I mentioned, attending this church for quite literally as long as I can remember. I've got to hear Pastor Peter preach almost every single week of the year for the last 29 years, I guess. Um, he's easily been the most influential person I've had from a preacher sermon perspective in my life. And he's heavily shaped how I interpret and understand the Bible. Um, from that picture specifically, I'll let you decide whether that's a really great thing or like a modern day brainwashing. Number two is it is Tim Keller. So, Tim Keller is the author of um, many Christian books, including multiple New York Times bestsellers. And he's the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. Um, his teaching style matches up very well with how I interpret and understand the Bible um, and, I personally, and how I personally learned and process things. And it, he's profoundly shaped and understood how I um, thought about several topics, including the topic of forgiveness, which is the one I shared off in our life group. Um, he passed away the middle of last year, but he left a lasting legacy and I'm sure he'll continue to impact many people for many years to come. And this final person, which I don't know whether anyone's heard of him before. If you, have, if you talk to me a little bit, you might. He is Maddie Montgomery. Does anyone know who Maddie Montgomery is other than Bree and Cam? So Maddie Montgomery used to be the lead vocalist of a spirit-filled hardcore or metalcore band I really like called For Today. Uh, yes, Caitlin loves that genre of music. I'll just give you a demonstration. Like one of the songs, I think the, the first song off the album that came out most recently, because they've disbanded, it starts with blurring the lights. So that's the sort of music that I like listening to. Uh, but before disbanding in 2016, he was famous or infamous, depending on um, sort of your beliefs and how you see things, for preaching in the middle of their music sets. Um, at shows during his his quick messages, he'd have people giving him the finger and telling him exactly what they thought of his religious messages while the person next to them would be bawling their eyes out and asking for Jesus to come into their life for the first time. He wasn't the sort of preacher that usually was, or singer that was normally playing at nice Christian venues, lots of happy Christians. There was lots of people that really, really didn't like him and really didn't like his preaching. Um, so I initially watched some of the recordings of his five-minute elevator pitches for Jesus at the shows. 
Um, and seeing this level of conviction in his faith, it sort of led me on to looking at more of his stuff and his full-length messages and sermons um, that he'd preached as an evangelistic preacher rather than a screaming vocalist. Um, and this all happened about nine years ago, I discovered it, when I got to learn and experience God's love at a time when I needed it the most. Um, since 2019, he's the founder and the lead pastor of the church, the Altar Fellowship, which I listen to regularly. Well, I listen to messages from them regularly. All right, so on to the actual message. We've enough about me, more on the message. Um, so the title of this sermon is Being Like Peter. So this is, again, Peter from the Bible, not from this church. Um, this message was also inspired by a, a metalcore band. So it was a song called Hindsight by a band called Wolves at the Gate. Um, the song follows along the story of Peter, and it's like a, a bit of like a written diary, but obviously in a song form. Um, it was starting with his prideful stance of being the one, always being like first in line and everything, right up into that realization where he betrayed Jesus and then the revelation of grace that came along after it. Um, the song's not as screamy as some other songs that I'd normally listen to from the genre, so give it a listen after, the, after this if you'd like. All right. So, in order to be like someone, you've got to know who they are. Um, so, let's find out. Let's ask the question, who was Peter? So, the, the, the term who can be, we, we can break it down a few different ways. Um, so, you can be objective about someone, what something is or someone is, and you can be subjective about who they are, uh, depending on sort of your point of views and what you know and what you believe about them. So, I could ask a very loaded question like, who is Anthony Albanese? And you can answer something like, Prime Minister of Australia, that is an objective statement. Only child, objective statement. Father of his son, Nathan, objective statement. Hawks supporter, objective statement. Or something like, horrible, or saviour, or strong, a strong leader, or a disaster. All depending on how you see him. So those are all subjective ones, which you might have reasons to believe that based on things, objective things he's done. But there's a lot of different ways of seeing who they are. So I thought we'll look at both of those different types of who, who Peter was from the Bible. Um, and before I actually share everything that I know about Peter from the Bible, which isn't that much, but it's more than you, um, let's, I thought we'd actually, like, let's use the collective brains trust of this room and let's, let's figure out who Peter was. So I'm just going to, um, we're going to write them down on a board. So I'm just going to get people to call them out. Don't call them out like, because I can't write that fast. And to also help in the, um, to help you to remember things and to give someone else something to do, I thought Jay could act out all the things that we say that Peter from the Bible is. So just one moment, I'll just have a drink, and then we can start off. I must admit, my Peter does look very Joseph-y, but my costumes were limited to what I could find in my father's closet this morning as I left for church. So uh, I'm pretty happy with what I did. All right. So I thought I'd just start us off, just to give you an... This is one of the serviettes from the, from the kitchen. <laughs> That's perfect. So I thought I'd start you off with three that um, I had I've written down here. So the first one is a saint. I don't write very much now. I use a computer for almost everything, so my writing's not great. He was an attempted murderer. Oh, attempted. Yeah, attempted, not actual. He was the first pope. All right, now I'm going to throw it to the audience. What do you want to see Jay act out? I mean, um, what do you want, Peter? All right, so who was Peter? 
a disciple. I don't know, you, you do it. It's your job, not mine. Yeah, he was, he was looking for Jesus. I guess that's close enough. All right, what's another one? Impulsive. Oh, be very careful with what you do with that. He was a fisherman. What else was Peter? I've never even heard that word before, but I'm just going to take a guess of what it sounds like. Passionate. I'm glad I didn't have to write a word down that I didn't know what it was. I could be opening myself up to all sorts of things with that. Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate based on what I've read. It's uh, definitely good. I should use you as a reference whenever they do movies. Anyway. Um, <laughs> what's another, another, another uh, Peter thing? Great faith. Yes, great faith. And we'll put walked on water, both, both of them. Do a couple more. What's another thing for, that Peter was or who he was? He was an author, yes. I'm going to enjoy looking back on all these things. I don't get to see half of them while I'm writing it down. You can write the whole first, first of Peter. Um, last one, what was Peter. Gatekeeper of the gates of heaven. That's a good one. I didn't actually have that one. Oh, well, I thought that would give you, if you don't remember anything else from my sermon, you can remember Jay. So, yes, good job. Thank you, Jay. You will be coming up a bit later. Yes, that one you might want to record. If you if you're going for something funny, I thought I'd just read out because I went through the Bible like all good Christians do and good preachers, and I also looked it up. So I thought I wrote down every single thing that I whenever they mentioned Peter, my brain went, "Oh, you got to do something." So I'll just read out the list of what I had. Um, won't dwell too long on all of them because we'll be here forever. Um, but I had one of the first twelve disciples. He was Simon. He was Cephas or Kephas. He was Peter. Petros. Saint Peter. Simeon. Peter. He was married or a widower. He was the first bishop of Antioch. He was the rock that the church was built upon, not Dwayne the rock. He was a fisherman. He had a sick mother-in-law. He was impulsive. He was a water walker. He was first of all the chosen. He was strong-willed. 
He was not a learned man. He spoke his mind. He was a liar. He was the first apostle to see Jesus' empty tomb. He was part of the perverted and unbelieving generation. He spoke before thinking. He came from a rough socioeconomic demographic. He was the son of Jonah or John. He was a spokesperson for the other disciples. He was part of the terrific trio, Peter, James, and John. James and John's father was Zebedee. Uh, He was known as Thunder. So the group was also known as Rocky and the Sons of Thunder. (laughs) He was a sinful man. He was a vessel of Satan, betrayer, disloyal, preacher, water sinker, someone who had visions. He was a lawbreaker. He ate on the Sabbath. Someone who was caught sleeping on the job. He left everything to follow Jesus. He was a man given authority. He was part of Jesus' inner circle. He was an informant. He was a guard. An early times ear surgeon, performing an earectomy. Someone who went back on their word. He was the one who prepared the Passover meal. He was a healer. He was the author of one or two books of the Bible. And he was an influencer of one or two of the books of the Bible. First, Peter was definitely written by Peter. Second, they're not entirely sure based on the style of writing. And he likely influenced Mark. And he was a martyr. So that's all of Peter. So I think we can leave it there, basically. So you can go home today. I say, be like Peter, be an attempted murderer. That sounds great, right? You can be impulsive. You can be passionate like Jay was. You can be an author. That's all good. So as we might see, that there's maybe being like Peter isn't exactly the best title in the world. Um, so let's, uh, let's, let's modify it slightly. And I'm going to do that throughout a bit of the message. Who Being like Peter, mostly. So we'll, do, we'll take all the good things and leave all the bad. Um, so I thought, let's, let's talk about his name, because I mentioned um, that part about Cephas and Cephas and Petrus and rocks and whatever. Um, so we can go into his name, because we know he was Simon, and then he became Peter not long after he met Jesus. Um, so to, to, in order to explain this, there's a few things you'll need to know about first. You'll need to know the New Testament was written in Greek, but Jesus and his disciples spoke Aramaic. And there's a concept or a term called transliteration, which is the direct translation of a word in one language um, to yours with the closest way of saying it being used. So I'll just give you an example. If you can just go to the next slide. What is this? Yeah, good. It wasn't a trick question. I was waiting to see whether everyone would uh, just hold out for that. Yes, this is an apple. In English, this is an apple. In Korean, it is called sagwa. If you just go to the next one. So that's sagwa, sagwa. The transliteration of English... Sorry, the transliteration of English apple into Korean would be apple. If you try and say apple directly in Korean, it would be apple, which is exactly the same word they probably use for a certain large tech company. So you've got sagwa and apple. So let's move on to Peter, knowing that how that's how transliteration works. So as we know, his first name was Simon, which in English is either Simon or Simeon. In Greek was Simon again, and Aramaic was pronounced Shimon. Um, now, moving on to Peter, this is one that gets a bit more complicated. All right, so Cephas was the name that was written in the Bible. Uh, now, remembering the Bible was written in Greek, so Cephas or Cephas, actually, I'm going to disclaim it. I don't actually know how to pronounce all these words correctly. So I'm just going to read it as though it's in English. So Cephas, what was written in the Bible, but that is in Greek. Jesus didn't speak Greek. Jesus spoke Aramaic. So Jesus actually gave him a name, which was an Aramaic. And that name was Cephas or Kepha, which is that one, the second one on the 
from the, from the left side, which means rock in Aramaic. So when you come back to it, Cephas is the, the Greek word, which is a transliteration of Kepha or Cepha. So that's where Cephas comes from. Now, you're asking, how did this come, become Peter? So there's several references in the Bible where they use different words for how they describe Peter. They use Simon, sometimes they use Peter, and a few different variations of Peter. Now, because they, he was called um, Kepha, which is rock, remembering that that's the transliteration. That Greek word is a transliteration of rock, of, of the Aramaic word rock. So what's their actual word for rock? It's petros, which is the masculine Greek word for a rock. So in English, um, Peter becomes the transliteration of petros. Or you can just call him rock if you want to be a literal translation of what was in the Bible. So Yeah, there's your little, little Greek lesson. That was a lot more research than you thought it would be for five words on the screen. <laughs> All right, moving on to the actual message. Now, we, you know a little bit about me. You know how Peter and Simon all existed in one person. So the first, first point is Peter was an ordinary person. So when you think about the disciples from the Bible, you often see them as you might see them as two different types of people. You might see them as an absolute bunch of idiots who are really silly and stupid people. And we as modern holy Christians with the entire Bible at our disposal would have done so much of a better job if we're in their situation. You mean, how many times did they stuff up over and over and over and they had Jesus right next to them every single time, ignoring the fact we've got the Holy Spirit right now. But you, you thought you'd do better, yeah? So you see them as just like some stupid idiots or whatever. Or you see them as too holy to ever live up to because they were in the Bible and Jesus was with them the whole time. He was, the disciples were the first 12 people that Jesus sort of took under his wings and trained up and everything. So neither of those two statements are completely false. They obviously made a lot of mistakes um, and they did a lot of things which in hindsight were like just really stupid. Um, but it's also at the same time, Jesus was with them. He had... They had literally the best pre, uh, like teacher in the world helping them how to do things. Um, but I think, despite what you think, I think they're a little bit more relatable to, to us in the room than, and people online than you might otherwise think. So let's look at a few different things underneath what an ordinary man of Peter was like. The first one, he was a fisherman by trade. So we've mentioned he's a fisherman, so I thought I'd go in a little bit more about him being a fisherman. So in Matthew 4, 18 to 22, I'm reading from the NET translation. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, which we know about now, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I'll turn you into fishers of people. They left their nets immediately and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with his father Zebedee, mending their nets. Then he called them. They immediately left the boat and their father not following, and father followed him. So fishermen in the Bible were not a particularly high-paying job. It was a job that required many long nights and hours, maybe a little bit like Mark having to drive back from Perth. Um, so very, very long nights out in the water and I guess long days out in the water as well. This was a very physically demanding job. He didn't just press a few buttons and everything worked together. He had to be out there, obviously a lot of strength required to pull in the nets being out there in the heat and the cold in that sort of climate was probably, it got very extremely hot and very, very cold at night. 
Uh, fishermen were probably also quite rough people. This was not a job where you needed um, to be really nicely in social formal etiquette. Um, so they probably didn't have a lot of those nice things that you get associated with um, maybe nice, nicer classes in, the, in that day and time. So Peter himself was actually presumed quite competent at being a fisherman. Um, he had obviously had a successful fishing business with his partner, uh, his partnership, which was either Zebedee or his partnership with his, the two sons, James and John. And they had enough money to be able to hire people in, so it wasn't just them doing all the work. The Sea of Galilee was a very strong economic fishing zone, um, so being a fisherman there wasn't, uh, wasn't an uncommon job, and it was probably very integral to their, both their economy and actually being able to feed them. Um, as well as James and John, Peter's brothers, Andrew, was also a fisherman. I think there might have been other fishermen in, from the disciples, but I'm um, not 100% sure on that. Uh, so number two is something Peter had no formal education. So feeding in from the previous point, his last line of work, or his previous line of work, didn't exactly need um, 12 years of schooling or anything like that. Um, and he also didn't need any religious training to be a, a good fisherman. Um, just as a, a, a note before this, so I'm going to talk about the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish court of law. And we've also got rulers, elders, and experts in the law, which are trained and educated people in, um, according to the way where we talk about trained and educated people, trained and educated in Bible stuff. Uh, so in Acts 4.13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John um, and discovered that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized these men had been with Jesus. So Peter would have experienced a lot of regular preaching and, and well, preaching, I, I call it, I don't know what you'd call it back in the original day, in their synagogues. Um, so he would have heard a lot of things from the rabbis, learning about the... Um, uh, like the Torah and the Old, the Old Testament, but um, unlearned specifically means they did not have formal training in the Mosaic Law, which is also called the Torah. Um, it's also likely he understood, he could read, write, and understand Greek um, because as a fisherman, he had to do a lot of trading with other people, so he had to speak multiple languages. But my, uh, the, I say my guess, the guess of people much smarter than me was um, his Greek was probably there but a bit butchered, sort of in the same way that he learnt it on the job but didn't actually formally learn it, which is how you get the difference between First Peter and Second Peter because First Peter was written by someone that didn't really know Greek and Second Peter was written by someone who really knew Greek. So it was suspected that he might have told someone and they were um, writing it down as, as he went. Um, we'll move on to the third part. The third thing, which is an ordinary man, and he was not exactly the smartest person in the room. Now, I know more of you might be able to relate to this than the previous two. I don't think we've got any other fishermen in here. And I'm assuming most people, if not everyone in this room, has had some form of schooling. So maybe number three, point three, not exactly the smartest person in the room is the one that you relate to. Uh, Luke 24, 11 to 12. But these words seemed like pure nonsense to them, and they did not believe them. Uh, but Peter got up and ran to the tomb. He bent down and saw only the strips of linen cloth. Then he went home, wondering what had happened. So let's just picture. So I, I'm, I'm Peter, and I've just been told Jesus is going to resurrect. He said that many, many times. Disciples didn't really seem to get it, but you've heard it, so he doesn't have that excuse. And he pondered things in life. Like, what did Jesus mean by this? There's an empty tomb, and he's told me he's going to raise from the dead. What did he mean? What has actually happened? Who could possibly know what would happen? So we're giving him a little bit more flack than maybe, um, maybe is warranted. But nonetheless, it's like, it doesn't seem like something that it should be too difficult to connect. 
Another situation where he didn't quite get things right was Matthew 16, 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the area of Caesar Philippi, or Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do some people say that the Son of Man is? They answered, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, Simon Peter said, sorry, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be being bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. Then he instructed his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So this is a pretty big command and authority that he was given. Um, he was given knowledge that very few people at the time knew, and he was told not to tell anyone else. Now, I know the Bible, when verse 1 to next verse, doesn't always mean it literally just happened, because there's also different books of the Bible, which then have different stories in, in between those verses. But nonetheless, in quite literally the next verse, in Matthew sixteen twenty one. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, that must not happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me because you are not setting your mind on God interest, but on man's. So he was told who Jesus was. He knew it because he said, like, oh, this has been revealed to you specially. But then he decided, oh, the person who knows exactly what is going to happen, what should happen, I'm going to tell them otherwise. So maybe, maybe he's not quite the best, and maybe it makes him a bit more human than you might have otherwise thought. But despite all these, these things, his pretty ordinary, ordinary stance, he went on to do so many great things, like healing the sick and raising the dead and many other things in the book of Acts, which we'll talk about later. Um, so much like I, I renamed the message title, we're going to rename this section. We're going to rename it from an ordinary person to an extraordinary, with an extraordinary calling. So maybe you, maybe you're here and you think, oh, I'm not, I'm not really trained enough. Sure, I've had um, primary school, probably high school, um, maybe uni or something like that. Or I'm not skilled enough, or maybe I'm not old enough to step into the life that God has for you. But take a look at Peter. He was he was an ordinary man, and neither the skills. Neither yours or Peter's skills, traits, knowledge, or anything, biblical understanding, your technical skills, would make you special. It was God that made, your God makes you special. God made Peter special. And the authority that Peter had and used is still available now and today. So we'll move on to the next, next, uh, next of the two of the three. This one is called A, all in every time. I'm just going to take a drink so you can ponder what that title might possibly mean. So this, this title has come from an experience I had in school. In a, I'm pretty sure it was year 12, so probably a bit over 10 years ago now. In year 12, I took a class called Specialist Maths. Does anyone in this room know what Specialist Maths is? <laughs> anyone who's just having PTSD sort of situations from Specialist Maths? So for those who... <laughs> For those who don't know what it is, it's uh, one of the VC final year subjects. Um, it was the hardest of the math subjects you could take. 
had a lot of abstract concepts. So instead of just passing numbers together, suddenly you're passing imaginary numbers together, and you're passing boxes together, and you're looking at formulas, which when I, we ask for the explanation of what it means, my teacher quite literally said, you, you, you just memorize this one, you only learn that in uni. So I thought that was great. Anyway, so early on in the year, in my year 12, we had a test on this which counted towards our final end of year score. Um, I think the test had a mixture of short questions, long questions, and multiple choice. And the test was, as most things in specialist maths, was pretty hard. And all of us were quite strapped for time to get it completed. So test goes by probably a week, maybe a couple weeks later or something. We get our results. And one of my friends who normally struggles a little bit with the class, um, he got something like 90% right, maybe 100% for the multiple choice. And we thought, wow, this is like, you've done really well. But he didn't. That, that 90 or 100% did not translate to the long and short questions. Anyway, so it turns out he literally guessed every single multiple choice question, happily told our teacher and proclaimed it in front of him. And then the teacher boldly proclaimed from that point that we would never have any multiple choice questions in our tests again. And he held up his end of the bargain. So I don't exactly know what my friend guessed when he guessed almost all, or all of the questions right. But I'm going to take some creative liberty because I'm the creative leader. And I'm going to say he guessed A for every question, um, every time without thinking. So A, all in, every time. Um, which is also what I'm going to call some real Peter energy. So let's again, let's look at three things that Peter did, which was A, all in every time, or just um, showed lots of great Peter energy. So the first one is building tabernacles, which are sacred shines, during the transfiguration of Jesus. So this is in Matthew 17, 2 to 8. Six days later, Jesus took him with Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them privately up to a high mountain. So he's taking Rocky the Sons of Thunder up with him again. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Then Moses and Elijah also appeared before them, talking with them. So Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dear, one dear son, in whom I take great delight. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they were overwhelmed with fear and threw themselves down with their faces to the ground. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Do not be afraid. When they looked up, all they saw was Jesus alone. So, sounds pretty nice. But um, so Peter's first, Peter's first reaction, very first reaction, was to show honor. Honor. Great. Absolute great thing. And the way he showed honor was to build tabernacles to all three of them, very important figures of the church. Not quite right. So his actions, uh, his action of trying saying, oh, I want to build three tabernacles, effectively places those three people on the same level. So he tried to do something immediately and got it a little bit right, uh, a little bit wrong, sorry. And uh, in Luke 9.33, in the the New Living Translation also very specifically points out the exact Peter energy I think we're looking for. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three of those shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Amusing, yes, but that's Peter's energy. That's the immediate, immediate action, ready to honor and ready to respect, even if he was only just doing what he thought was best at the time. Some people, that might be easier than others to just do something without thinking. Some of us, it takes a little bit more effort. Number two was when he first met Jesus, um, he was asked to cast his nets out. So this is in Luke 5, 4 to 6. 
When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your word, I will lower the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets started to tear. Now, Peter had a lot of very good reasons why not to put his net back in into the water. So let's, let's, let's go into, let's pretend to be Peter for a little bit. Makes it easier. So picture this. You are now a professional fisherman or fisherwoman. So think about what Jay was doing before. I'll let you, you can actually do it. You are now that. You're not Jay, you're Peter, you're a professional fisherwoman. So you know your stuff. You've been doing this for 10, 20 years. You've got a successful business. Everything's good. You've just fished all night and caught absolutely nothing. We're talking like probably eight hours, maybe more, of time for fishing for literally nothing. Um, and you've just finished the grueling process of washing all of your nets, which doesn't exactly ex explain in the Bible other than everywhere I read, it didn't sound like a particularly fun process. I don't know that counts as cleaning if you spit on it. So, and then someone you admire, albeit not an actual fisherman, offers you unsolicited advice to say, just do the same thing again that you did last night. And so despite every single logical reason for Peter not to have done that, he did it anyway. He had the biggest fish haul he had ever had. That's Peter energy. And the third one, the one that everyone knows, the one we'll mention up there, is walking on the water. So let's actually look at the passage. Uh, Matthew 14, to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he was dispersed the crowds. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain to pray by, him, to him, by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat, already far from land, was taking a beating from the waves because the wind was against it. As the night was ending, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and cried out with fear. But Jesus immediately spoke to them, have courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, it, if it is you, come order me to, go, to walk, to, sorry, order me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, he became afraid and he started to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they went up into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. So my first thought about reading this passage and, my, and then related to the title was he also sank in said water. Like, ah, how little faith he had. <laughs> I'd do better. Second thought and question, because we're just having a go at Peter, what were the other disciples doing? So we don't actually know exactly what they were doing. We know they were afraid because they thought they saw a ghost, but then after that point, it doesn't mention them. Were, were they more afraid when the ghost started speaking? Did they know it was Jesus? Were they even more afraid when, when uh, Peter was walking out in the water? I don't know. But I thought, let's, have a, let's find out. So I've got a, a very biblically accurate reenactment of what the other disciples were doing. So I'm going to ask Jay to come up and help me with this. We're just going to move a few things. So have a think about what possible things we could destroy in this next few minutes.
Yes, nice. Mostly. Maybe. I'm like Peter. Yes, like Peter. Just doing it for fun. All right. All right. So, we are now the disciples out in the boat. And we're wondering, hmm. Uh, no, we're not sleeping. We're, I'm assuming the whole context of this, he was rowing from one side of somewhere to the other. So it was like, a, I'm assuming it was a lake, it wasn't a sea. Um, yes, yeah, so I don't know, maybe they had oars. I don't know whether they actually had oars or a, um, or a sail or something like that. It's not clear in the Bible. And I didn't do much research beyond that. So anyway, so we're, we're, in, the, we're in the boat. We're all, we're all pretty happy. We're rowing along. And we see Jesus. We think it's a ghost. <laughs> and we start yelling, ah, it's a ghost. We start, we start running around because there's a ghost. We start running around the boat. Ah, ah, what do we? Uh, there's a ghost. Oh my gosh! The ghost starts speaking. Ah, ah, there's a ghost speaking. Ah, ah, ah. Oh my gosh! Somewhere Peter's now talking to the ghost. What's he doing? Ah, you're the more yelling. Ah, ah, what's he doing? The crazy man. He's talking. Anyway, that was what we thought might be a, a reenactment. If you've just joined back from us, yelling on as preaching happens in every second Sunday. So we'll see you back again. Jay's still seeing the ghost that we talked about. This is 2,000 years ago, buddy. Anyway, so I thought you could um, see what the other disciples might have been, might have been going through. Uh, thank you, you can go sit down, or you can sit there for a moment if you're still catching yourself. So we're not exactly sure what was running through Peter's mind as well, um, when this was all happening, whether the disciples actually were just all yelling and kicking up a fuss. But through, regardless of that, or through that all, he still took immediate action. And even though everyone around him might have been terrified, and he probably was terrified, he still went for something. He called Jesus, he asked him something and followed through with it. That's Peter energy, taking a step both figuratively and literally when no one else would. So like, like the last one, we'll modify this title, um, go from A, all in every time, or Peter energy, to an enthusiastic all in go-getter every time, or just Peter energy if you really want to go down that route. So maybe you're in the spot right now where you're sort of waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for the right moment, the right time. Or maybe even you're one of the disciples and you're just scared of everything that's happening around you right now. I encourage you, take a step out and with better than what Peter did because he obviously stumbled it up, but you can do it with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And take a step out forward towards the life that God has for you. And the final of the three is... The unfaithful, lying, disoiled disowner. <laughs> so I might actually be wondering, because most of these, um, I've, sort of, I've spun them around. So you might be going, oh, how's he going to spin this into something positive? How can something good come out of being a, sort of a liar, a disloyal disowner, unfaithful? Because up until this point, you could say, oh, it's just like a, a job interview where you go, oh, what's, what's your biggest weakness? And you go, with your holiest attitude, definitely not lying about anything. I care too much. And so there's a sort of thing where it's like, it's a negative, but it's not actually that bad, unless you're in some environments where you actually don't need to care. Um, 
But it's the sort of thing where you go, oh, yeah, it's bad, but it's actually good. So you could sort of argue those two things for the first two. He's like an ordinary man, but he's got an extra recording. He did everything impulsively, but he was doing it in faith. So it's the sort of things like that. But how do you spin this into something positive? We have to wait to find out exactly how. So for this point, we're just looking at one entry in the diary of Peter's life. So instead of the three, and this is the betrayal of Jesus. So this is one of the few passages in Scripture where this event is told in every single one of the Gospels, and they cover very similar things about it. So let's look how Mark describes it in Mark 14, 66 to 72. Now, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the high priest's slave girls came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked directly at him and said, you were with that Nazarene, Jesus, but he denied it. I don't even understand what you're talking about, which is a bit weird considering he obviously did understand because he responded back. Anyway, um, then he went out to the gateway and, oh, sorry, uh, understand what you're talking about. Yeah, then he went out to the gateway and the rooster crowed. When the slave girl saw him, she began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them, but he denied it again. A short time later, the bystanders again said to Peter, you must be one of them because you're also a Galilean. Then he began to curse and he swore an oath. I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time. But Peter remembered what Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And in Matthew and Luke, they specifically highlight wept bitterly. And here we are. So this was probably the lowest point of um, Peter's life. Um, what were just a few words that were spoken in the Bible was probably basically an eternity to him. In his mind, I'm suspecting he probably also recounted every single situation he talked to Jesus, every time that Jesus had declared something or said something about Peter, and every time that everything that Peter had promised back to Jesus. So this is not even 12 hours before Peter made a promise to Jesus in Mark 14, 27 to 31. Then Jesus said to him, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter said to him, even if they fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth. Today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. And all of them said the same thing. There's also another promise and declaration in Matthew 16, 14, where he told Jesus that he was Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus told him back that God had revealed that to him. So these are more things that um, has built up the concept that Peter was big in Jesus' eyes. Like it, was, it was a big deal. And Peter was supposed to be the rock that the church was built upon. He was given the keys of the kingdom to heaven and granted authority. And there's other things where maybe Peter's thinking about the other times he actually messed up. Um, obviously, the one we just talked about was sinking in the water. He was told face-to-face -face by Jesus that he had little faith. Um, and when he, the transfiguration, when he was trying to show honor to Jesus, but making him at the same level as Elijah and Moses. Um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, probably about half a day before the, the actual betrayal took place, he fell asleep. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him while he was praying and in a really awful time, and they all fell asleep. Um, he, he attempted to defend Jesus, only to be told to stop, and watching the defensive damage that he'd just done be healed back to normal by the very person you were trying to protect. 
And lastly, he was commanding Jesus to stop talking about his own death, only to be told by Jesus that he was Satan and to stop immediately. So you think all these thoughts are running through Peter's mind, and he's like, uh, what, it's, what have I done? I, I literally had probably, in that point in time, I'd say he was the most uh, Christian person that before Jesus died, obviously, um, that you could sort of get. He was the closest that person that Jesus had with him in terms of, hey, I've got all of this planned for you. Go forth. Um, and this was probably also the last time that Peter was with Jesus before he died. And based on what we've discovered before, Peter didn't actually seem to really know or believe that Jesus was coming back. So this is the last time he's ever seen what he called one of his best friends. And he just said, I don't know that person. And then he thinks everything going through his head over and over and over. What have I done? So in honesty, I don't, I don't know what I would have done in that situation. It would have been a very tough, tough thing to do. But with this section, I actually can't spin it in any positive matter. There's no secret or hidden answer. I'm not going to come out with some special like, oh, but this happened and that's all good. That's why being a betrayer and liar is a really great thing. By all accounts, Peter made enormous blunders and he dug himself into the situation. He was completely responsible for every single thing he did. And it's made even worse by the fact he was a very ordinary person who just did things impulsively. So that it wasn't even he was just doing things, but he took made a mistake. Like, this was him. His impulsive actions of being a person that doesn't really know that much was the result of his failure. His failure was tied to who he was. I think one of the last lines in the song that inspired this, this message, hindsight, really describes it. Am I different than Judas? For I betrayed the kindest friend. I'm all out of excuses with nothing to make my amends. So maybe you're, you're here right now. Maybe you've got some of those same thoughts. Um, maybe you've made promises to God or you've made promises to people that were very close to you, but you weren't able to keep. Or maybe you've had goals and aspirations or even prophetic words spoken over you in parts of your life. And you've either made backwards progress in meeting them or you've actually destroyed all possible chance of them actually happening. Maybe you don't believe you can do it or you can ever be up to the right standard that you're setting or your understanding what God thinks you're setting or what the Bible, what the world is telling you, what the what Christianity is doing is telling you through the world the world lens that we live in is that you are not enough. You will never be able to make what you promised. So let's continue to, to read on and see what happens. In John 21, 1 to 11. After this, Jesus revealed himself again by the disciples, to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, now, this is how he did so. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel, who came from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were, of his were together. Simon Peter told him, I'm going fishing. We will go with you, they replied. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. When it was already very early in the morning, Jesus stood on the beach. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you don't have any fish, do you? They replied, No. So he told them, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they threw the net and they were not able to pull it in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. 
So Simon Peter, when he heard that it was the Lord, tucked in his outer garment, for he was wearing nothing underneath it, and plunged into the sea. Meanwhile, the other disciples came with the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from land, only about a hundred yards. When they got out on the beach, they saw a charcoal fire ready with the fish placed in it and bread. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've just caught now. So Simon Peter went aboard and pulled the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153. But although there were so many, the net was not torn. So being honest, if I was in this situation where I've just made basically the biggest blunder of my life to the most important person in my life and the world, I don't know whether I would have been very happy to see him. This is, this is not like years after where you might have got over it. This was probably about four days after, after that moment he'd done the betrayal. Jesus spends a little bit more time. He obviously carries the cross. He's on the cross, and then he gets resurrected a few days later. Um, but to face someone else that you've made that many promises to, worked that much with, and being that close a friend, to then say, you're nothing to me, let alone Jesus, his Lord, his Savior, and his friend, would have been a really tough proposition. Let's read on in, in John 21, 15 to 19. Then, the, then when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these two? He replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus told him, feed my lambs. Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus told him, shepherd my sheep. Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus replied, feed my sheep. I tell you the solemn truth. When you were young, you tied your clothes around you and went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will tie you up and bring you where you do not want to go. Now, Jesus said this to indicate clearly by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. After he said this, Jesus told Peter, follow me. And what a absolutely fantastic display of grace and love. It's a song that did not deserve it in any means, way straight, any possible way. There was no possible way Peter could have done anything to have earned that. And it's almost poetic, even the way he betrayed and denied Peter, uh, he denied Jesus three times. And three times Jesus said, do you love me? To redeem that. This was not just rebuilding what was, it was building something even better. Uh, building up his Peter's higher calling and his stronger commitment than he had before. So we look at this. So Peter simply came back. He didn't beg for forgiveness. He didn't, he obviously didn't even hide away and think that he wasn't worth it. Maybe he did, but he did it anyway. He just wanted to see Jesus again. And Jesus was there waiting with love and grace. And Jesus wasn't even like, oh, do you know what you've done? Or do you know everything? He's like, come to me. So let's rename this section, but not the same way that I've done with the others. So this is, he's the unfaithful, lying, disloyal discerner, but loved and called anyway. The calling of, of Peter's life was still there. Maybe it was even stronger than when he, um, when he did all the betrayal stuff. It didn't disappear. He didn't lose it. It was still there. It was ready and waiting for him to go. He didn't let his past down. He kept going. And after this, Peter did so many great things, all found in the book of Acts. He preached the masses and helped save 3,000 people. He's healed the sick. He raised the dead. He confidently testified and preached before the Sanhedrin. 
He was present when the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. He was summoned to the home of the Roman centurion Cornelius, who was also believed to have received the Holy Spirit. He unlocked the church to the Jews, Samaritans, and the Gentiles. That's like the whole world at this point. It was so localized and he broke everything loose. He wrote and influenced multiple books of the Bible. He received vision from God for a new direction about the clean and unclean food, and he was a foundational member of the early church. You think of how many of those things wouldn't have happened and what things would be like if he just said, I'm not worth it. I don't deserve to be brought back. So maybe you're, you're here right now. You're on that journey. Maybe you, maybe you identify with Peter in some capacity. You see yourself as, I'm just a nobody. Like I, I do. Maybe even at church, you, you just come here, you, you do your part, and you go, oh, I, I contributed my part, but honestly, who cares? Um, as we see, you, don't, you can be an ordinary person, but you have so much more that God's got ready and waiting for you as an extraordinary call in your life. Or maybe you're waiting for something to happen. Maybe you're just sort of waiting for the right moment. You've been waiting so long, you're like, is this even real? Like, is this, does God even have the promises still waiting for me? Are they still here? I'm just waiting for something to hear. Maybe you need to take a step out. Maybe you need some Peter energy and just, just go for it. But you can go for it not in the same way that Peter did. We've, we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit uh, with a spirit of faith and discernment that God has given us. Or maybe you identify with the last point where you think you're beyond saving. Or maybe, oh, as a good Christian, I know I'm, I'm saved, I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm a failure at everything else. I've stuffed up. And I'm not saying that your stuff-ups are actually not stuff-ups. They were, look at Peter's ones. That was, it's probably in the Bible, outside of the actual fall of man, it's probably the worst thing that has ever been done directly to counter faith after so much build-up. He was given so much, and he let it all go. See, maybe you're there, but what I'd like to say to you is no one is beyond saving, and no one is out of reach of God's love and grace. He is ready and waiting, just like he was with Peter. And if that's like you, then you don't have to do this alone. Um, You can come out. We've got people in the room. You can come out for prayer right now. If if you want to deal with that situation right now, we can do that. This this church is not designed just to come here on Sunday mornings and do a few different things during the week. We're here to be family to each other. We're here to come alongside us when one of us has actually been Peter. We've actually stuffed up. We actually don't think we can make it. But we've got God telling us, no, that's not true. And sometimes it takes more than just your own voice. And you're like, oh, but I, I don't want to hear that. Sometimes you need God telling you through someone else to say, you, you're more than that. The love and grace is still here for you. If there's other things you're thinking about and you're sort of mulling over, maybe that's something during the week. Next time those thoughts come up, oh, I'm just ordinary. Oh, I'm I'm not that smart. Oh, my profession doesn't lend anything. Catch that thought. I'm not saying you, you won't think that thought. Catch that thought. Think about Peter. Think about, oh, there was another ordinary man in the Bible who went through everything short of hell basically and he still came back Jesus called him back even stronger than when he was before so we can sing that song and let's just uh, if you want to come up the front for prayer you can come up the front Um, if not you can just pray in your own hearts and sing along with us as we go